Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Toronto Blue Jays not in action yesterday. Despite that, their playoff odds go up ever so slightly. The Texas Rangers beat the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The Houston Astros beat the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners continue to tumble here. They're uh, they're in a bad way. Their magic number to get eliminated from the wild card is now down to five. So if you're looking at, uh, I mean, that's the number for Houston to lock up a spot over Seattle. Uh, the Jays obviously have additional cushion there. So the Jays technically could clinch as early as tomorrow. They are three games up on Seattle for that final spot. They're a game and a half up on Houston. If you're looking at wildcard two versus wildcard three, the Mariners have now lost four in a row, uh, Texas, meanwhile, has shot to the top of the American League West with a little bit of a cushion now, winning six in a row and scoring a ton of runs. Now, we don't know uh, the severity of John Gray coming out of that game yesterday, so maybe a, a banged-up rotation takes another hit there. But we also heard yesterday that Max Scherzer is progressing maybe faster than people anticipated. Uh, Max Scherzer, someone we knew was out for the regular season. It sounded very, very unlikely that he would be ready for the postseason. But the reports continue to be that he is beating timelines and things like that. And he is nearing not a return to pitching, but a, a return to at least working off of the mound. So interesting things going on in Texas. They, The combination of, of Max Scherzer inching closer and that offense looking like that offense has for most of the year. Suddenly Texas looks like a, a pretty dangerous team again here, even with their bullpen issues. Now, nobody in the American league East relevant to the playoff race in action yesterday. So you're still looking at a scenario where Baltimore is probably going to win the division, but can't officially lock that up until tomorrow at the earliest that has an impact on the Toronto blue Jays in terms of locking Tampa Bay into the first wildcard spot and whether Tampa Bay has anything to play for on the weekend. The Jays will be back in action tonight. They'll play the Yankees. They'll see Michael King again. It didn't go particularly well last time. Now, that's not to knock the Jays entirely. Michael King has looked really, really good this year, first as a reliever, then as an opener type, and now as a starter. Uh, our pal Esteban Rivera, a great piece up at Fangraphs late last week on what's gone into Michael King, ascending the way he has. Having said that, Michael King having a career game against the Toronto Blue Jays last week, you never want to be on the receiving end of career night because it's something that that pitcher has not established before, has not done before. I think it was 13 strikeouts he finished with. The Jays will need to be a little better today. They might get Brandon Belt back. We're anticipating news on that before the game down at Rogers Center. Should be a pretty fun news day in general. Usually the first game of a homestand, the first game of a series uh, is a lot of updates from John Schneider. We also have the end of the AAA season. So um, even though the Jays are at home now, so taxi squads are, are very limited, we might hear plans for who will join the team in the wild card round on the taxi squad. If they're, uh, if they make the playoffs, um, we'll also hear, you know, Hey, Bowden Francis is done at AAA. Jay Jackson's done at AAA. Are those guys in the mix at all? Uh, Adam Simber ended up getting into four appearances with AAA. Is he possibly, we don't think he's in the mix at all, but Hey, is he going to be on the taxi squad around just in case? Speaking of that Buffalo Bisons team, their season wrapped on Sunday. We're going to talk to Casey Kendall, the manager of that team shortly here uh, as a heads up. Jose Barrios is joining the show around 1035. Uh, we caught up with Jose at a charity event for his La Henta del Barrio uh, 
charity event yesterday. So we'll play you the audio from that. And then Chris Black will be in studio for an hour at 11 o'clock. Chris Black, uh, I don't know if it's dropped yet, but he told me he is dropping a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. thread this morning at some point. So you should head over to Down to Black and check that out. And we'll we'll talk about that, of course, uh, when when Chris joins us. We'll also kick around some of the uh, American League Championship Series odds the Fangraphs has up because Chris doesn't like the way they look necessarily. Uh, maybe doesn't agree with them. Um, and as a small procedural head up, heads up, uh, I have a piece coming up on sportsnet.ca today uh, on Jamie Ritchie, who was the AAA catcher for most of the year. Uh, he joined the Blue Jays last week on the taxi squad in New York. Uh, what does that mean? What did that week look like for him? That piece will be going up at sportsnet.ca a little later today. Uh, he is not with the team in Toronto. Again, the taxi squad rules here in 2023 are a little different than uh, than what you've maybe heard in the pandemic adjacent years, but a little bit of a emergency depth there if needed. Um, again, a lot of fun stuff going on at AAA as uh, that season wrapped up. You've obviously seen a lot of the impact on the Toronto Blue Jays with a Davis Schneider, a Spencer Horwitz, an Ernie Clement. Uh, I mentioned Bowden Francis and Jay Jackson earlier. Uh, we are going to talk to Bison's manager, Casey Candell, in a moment here, just reconnecting uh, with him. So let's take a look at the probable pitchers for this series while we we wait for Casey Candell. Uh, it is Michael King tonight. He'll go head-to-head with Kevin Gosman. Kevin Gosman, who, as we'll discuss with Chris Black, has some yellow flags in terms of his performance against good offenses versus bad offenses. He will see a very bad offense tonight, so we might not get any more uh, good data on that tonight, but we'll take a look anyway. Uh, Jose Brios and Garrett Cole go head-to-head tomorrow in what will be Jose Brios's final start of the regular season. He would be lined up to either start game one of the wild card if Kevin Gosman's needed in game 162 or potentially game two of the wild card if they can skip Gosman. Uh, Chris Bassett and Luke Weaver round it out and hey who knows if these games don't matter a ton on the weekend maybe we see some appearances from a team that was full of guys having really strong years especially really strong finishes to the year as the buffalo bisons made a late push toward a playoff spot they didn't quite get there but a successful season nonetheless the manager of that triple a buffalo bisons team casey candell joins us now how are you oh good very good good glad <laughs> to hear hanging out yeah. So yeah. what 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 is the what is this time like for you now? You guys wrapped on Sunday. Do you hang around Buffalo? Do you come to Toronto? Or are you back down in Dunedin now? What's what's the next step for you, Casey? Um, we're still in we're still in uh, Buffalo. So we got some some guys here just in case uh, they may be needed at the major league level, and just kind of keeping them um, ready to go, and you know, just making sure hopefully you know they don't they aren't needed, but. If they are, they'll be ready to go and perform. So is that just like, you know, a core of, I don't know, eight to 12 guys making sure guys are pitchers are facing live pitching, hitters are, are facing live pitching, that kind of thing? Yep, exactly. That is it. Yeah, so so it's just kind of just, you know, with the with the minor league season, the AAA season ending before the major league season, you just, if, if they need a player, if there's something that happens at the major league level, they, 
they can't we can't send them home yet mm. so they're, they are sitting around doing nothing so so when the Jays have called on you guys this year for for help from AAA, it's gone pretty well. I, I know you guys didn't make the playoffs, but that's not the only way we evaluate uh, a AAA team. When you look at the season that you guys had, whether it's success on the field as a team, success on the field individually, uh, contributing to the Blue Jays, what? how do you and, and the organization measure success for the Buffalo Bisons in a season? Um, really, like... Uh... Make, making sure that our players progress and get better throughout the year, um, that they are ready to go and, and help any way they can at the major league level. And, and we do, we do put a, a focus on, you know, winning games, which is, um, you know, we want that to be part of our, our environment and part of our culture. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, we, we were trying to make a run to get to Vegas uh, uh, for the playoffs and mainly because I just wanted to go hang out in Vegas. I didn't really care about <laughs> no, but, but our guys did a great job and, and, you know, we started off slow and I think um, most of them, you know, got better as the season went on and, and contributed uh, to the, at the major league level for the guys that went up there. So it was really a satisfying season. Yeah, not, I wouldn't argue with a trip to Vegas either if I were you, Casey. So, uh, so <laughs> yeah. sorry that didn't work out for you. Um, <laughs> curious, this year, I, I know you were with Buffalo as the manager last year. Um, you've played a couple different roles now in your coaching career. You've been a bench coach with the Toronto Blue Jays. You've been a base coach with Seattle. You've managed at low A. How does managing at AAA differ from those other roles where you're kind of balancing long-term development, but also readiness for the major leagues. Whereas, you know, in low A, it's maybe just about development. When you're in the majors, it's just about win now. AAA kind of splits the difference. How has that been for you? Uh, and how does your role change at AAA versus those other places? Um, you know, like you said, there's a lot of development at the lower levels. And it's still developing because we have a young, we had a young team this year in Buffalo, but it's basically kind of getting getting the, the pulse of your team and seeing what you need to do. And, and there's some different things at different times with different players that you need to focus on. I mean, there's, uh, you know, a lot. Of, uh, I remember Philippe Alou, who managed me in AAA, said that, it, that, that AAA was like purgatory. You got your guys going up, wanting to go up, and then there's the guys going down, and nobody's happy. So um, it's kind of just balancing that and making sure everybody's in a, in a good space and making sure that they're, they're working to – realize their dream or get back to where you know the, they were in the big leagues before and it's just kind of uh making sure everybody's happy and stays happy and communicating and making sure they're moving in the right direction really um you mentioned felipe alu and obviously you played a handful of years for for the expos uh am i remembering right you you have like a lot of like memorabilia and stuff i, I remember seeing an interview you did and you still have like a bunch of binders from the teams you played for uh did you keep a lot a lot of expo stuff over the years uh, yeah, yeah, I still have it. I still have my jerseys and the hat. So, you know, the hat was pretty cool back in back in the day. So <laughs> <laughs> I kept all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm still I've still got yeah, one I as got well. It's a good that. look. Yeah. 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 So, uh, okay, so let's let's take a look at some of the guys who you've helped graduate to the majors this year. I, I know top of mind for everyone is David Schneider. He he came up and was maybe not expected to contribute at the major league level this year, but he had this tremendous half season at triple a comes up, gives the blue Jays a, a big boost uh, struggling a little bit right now, but in general, um, what do you think has allowed David Schneider to transition to the major leagues, maybe a, a ahead of where was expected here and, 
you know, have the success that he's had prior to this last week or so? I mean, um, you know, he's, a, he's, he's kind of uh, just has a pretty simple approach at the plate, and he, he doesn't veer from that very often. Um, you know, he has a, a good good idea of the strike zone, so he doesn't chase a lot of pitches. Um, and his, his swing path is, um, as talking to Matt Haig, our, our hitting coach here, says it's just conducive to getting the ball in the air and, and hitting home runs, really. I mean, he just has a path that's kind of, consistent with that going on and and he's you know he's a he he's a hard worker he has you know gone through a lot in 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 a short time in his career and had a lot of ups and downs and so he's he's already understood like kind of kind of how the game works and you got to keep grinding through and and just a tremendous human being and teammate so So i think you know those things all lead to a success because his, his approach is pretty simple so there's not a lot of movement in his swing and not a lot of uh, things that can go wrong. So that's great. And and hey, it's a it's been a tough week or so for him here, but the approach hasn't yep. hasn't shifted at all. So I think that gives you uh, some confidence that that that'll turn the corner for him. Um, so he was obviously a big power boost for your team on the kind of overall hitting side. Ernie Clement and Spencer Horowitz both hit up around 340, 350 for the year. They come up and contribute to the Blue Jays in smaller roles. Um, we've known this about Spencer Horowitz for a while, but with Ernie Clement, he kind of came to the organization as a glove first guy. He hadn't had this level of success offensively before. What do you think has clicked for Ernie Clement at the plate this year with you guys? Um, I think, you know, he just made a couple adjustments. And, and again, I got to give credit to Matt Hagee. He's just does, does done a great job with the, the hitters here and kind of caters to what they need and can see some things that, that, that um, you know, they can, they could do to improve. And obviously the player has to put that into uh into, you know, put it into the act and then do it in the game. And Ernie did a great job of doing that. And he stayed with what he wanted to do. And, you know, it was pretty amazing. I mean, he would have he would have maybe a week off at the big leagues, get sent down here, and he'd play his first game and get four hits. So <laughs> so he stayed pretty consistent with what he was doing all year, and it, and it really paid off for him. So it was really good. And, and Spencer, again, another another guy who – who has uh, not a lot of movement with his swing and not not too complex and it's pretty pretty simple. So those kind of guys that don't have big moves and don't have a lot of things going on with their swing and are very competent with their swing path and know what they're doing in in the selection of pitches, they they're they're usually pretty consistent with their hitting. So I mean, you know, looking at, at those guys, they can remain they can remain consistent because of of that. Um, another name that kind of graduated late this year. We haven't seen him at the plate yet. We haven't seen him get the stolen base green light, but we've seen him pinch run a couple times in Cam Eden. Um, he was 53 for 57 stealing bases for you guys this year. Everything we heard was that he's a tremendous defensive outfielder as well. Uh, just how fast is Cam Eden? Like, like how green was his green light on the bases with you guys? Oh, he, he he could run anytime he wanted. Basically, I mean, we well he didn't he of those those fifty three stolen bases. I think there were probably if we had replay, he would have been thrown out maybe one time. I mean, just by watching film after after the fact. So he's very adept. He's he's fast, but um, interesting enough, it's more his re, his ability to react to a movement of the pitcher and and um, get good jumps. So that's really what makes a great base dealer. 
Um, it's not only being fast, but the ability to move when the pitcher moves. So he is very adept at that and, and very advanced and kind of uh, has a good feel for, for being on the bases to be able to steal. So on the other side of things, those, those are guys who have kind of come up to the majors and graduated at some point. There are also, you know, a few guys who, who stuck it out with you guys in the minors or, or joined you halfway through the season. Uh, I, I wonder, Casey, what you saw from Mitch White down the stretch. He obviously had a, a late start to the season with some injuries that kept him out of most of spring training. He had a bit of a rough start here at the major league level and then was DFA'd and outrighted to you guys. And after a couple appearances it seemed like things clicked he had, he had some tremendous numbers uh down the stretch both in terms of era and strikeouts per per inning and strikeouts per nine and things like that um what what clicked for mitch white late in the year what, what did you see from him that you liked over this last month or two um he, he was dealing he really was <laughs> he he his uh his zero clicked up i mean he uh i think he ended like you know sitting at 96 to 98 and landing his breaking ball and, and, and just his secondary stuff was, was on point. Um, he just locked in and I think he um, physically started feeling really good and, and everything kind of, uh, kind of fell into place. And he, he was solid down the stretch. I mean, his last, his last four or five starts, I think maybe he, he, he was, he was pretty much unhittable and um, pretty good count on, you know, you know, five to six innings of strong, pitching so it was good to see i mean um like you said he struggled early but you know locked it in physically and and mentally and really really finished up strong and looked like man this guy is you know he's legit he he certainly looked legit from from scouting the stat lines which obviously is uh is dangerous here if we we can't watch the game so yeah. good good to hear the velocity and the approach uh back up those results um someone else who who had a lot of success for you guys he was named the buffalo bison's most valuable pitcher this year wes parsons joined you guys kind of midway through may now i know he's a guy who's been around he has some major league experience had a lot of experience at triple a already so maybe this is just uh you know a, a guy who's been around the block and knows how to pitch but some pretty big spikes in the strikeout numbers for Wes Parsons late in the year as well um what did you what did you like from Wes how close do you think he is to being someone who could be on a major league team's radar oh he could he could definitely be on someone's radar he, he's a competitor he goes out he wants the ball um you know he doesn't want to come out of games it's a uh, it's scary when on game day when he's pitching, you don't really want to be around him because he's pretty intense. <laughs> um, but, uh, but again, uh, ability to get swing and miss a good breaking ball. Uh, and again, I think, you know, the biggest thing is the compete and the, uh, you know, wanting to be out there until the game's over and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And he, he did a great job for us and I could definitely see him, you know, contributing at the major league level. Um, so last uh, last weekend here, I guess it was Friday night. Uh, I know you haven't spent a ton of time with Ricky Tiedemann. He kind of just joined you guys for uh, for one outing there. Uh, did you kind of, I, I know it was just one outing, four innings. You, you kind of see what people are excited about even in that short window? Yeah, yeah. He, he, I mean, he's got a tremendous changeup, and and um, I, I, he, he didn't use it much early, but then he, he broke it out in the third and fourth inning, and it is a it is a wipeout pitch, and you know, 97, 
uh, good slider. And if you mix in a changeup, that's really good with that. That's that's a recipe for success for sure. Um, you know, he's he's uh, again a, another guy that gets out there and goes after hitters. So he has no fear, and and you know he's a uh, he's getting after it when he's out there. So it was good to see him come up and and have a good outing, getting ready to go to the uh, Arizona Fall League. Yeah, you've got a couple uh, a couple of your guys headed there. I, I know Damiano Palmegiani was not with you guys a ton of time, kind of just the last month of the season. He's headed for the AFL now uh, as well. How, how impressed with Damiano were you when he came up to you guys? Uh, really good, really compact swing again. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys have a type, eh? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't do a lot of um, you know doesn't do have a lot of movement and, and big movement in his swing, and so it's a it's a recipe for having the ability to get the the bat head through the zone. He's got a good path, and it's a a real good a real good launch angle that he has to to get the ball in the air. And and again, you know that's kind of kind of looking at it and and seeing it. It's kind of a recipe for success for him that he'll be successful. You know. For a long time to come, he's uh, you know wants to get better. Really, really wants to work on his defense to be a good defender. So, I mean, those kind of things are uh, all important, you know. And and really, when you're uh, when you're looking to win championships at the major league level, and you have a team that compete to, can compete to do that, you know, one of the biggest things is the guys in the minor leagues is their ability to play defense when they go up there. So, that's a very important part that he wants to work on. So. He's going to also go to the Arizona Fall League and and move around, play some different positions. So looking forward to seeing what happens there. In terms of that defensive versatility, that seemed to be something that you guys really put an emphasis on this year. I know Ernie Clement played basically every position except for catcher for you guys. Um, we saw David Schneider bounce around, Spencer Horwitz see some time in left field, and then, of course, Arelvis Martinez and Addison Barger, the two kind of biggest prospects on the roster also bounced around the diamond a little bit for you, you as a manager, um, you know, how much uh, of those decisions are coming from the org? Like, Hey, we got to get these guys some versatility. How, how much of it is you trying to sharpen up their skills at a couple different spots? I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is, um, you know, it would probably be easiest for a guy to become very good defensively if he's stuck to one position, but that versatility is so important when you're on the cusp of the major leagues. How did you manage that kind of day-to-day, week-to-week with some of the prospects? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at it, it's just, I mean, you know, sometimes uh, most most guys go up and they they don't play the position that they played in the, <laughs> in the minor leagues, you know, because there's somebody there. There's a, there's a Chapman or a Bo or a Vladdy, you know, any, anybody that we have in our major league level is pretty solid and, you know, a great player, but you know, the opportunity comes when, Hey man, he's doing well offensively, but we need him to play here instead of there. So I think the opportunity at this level to get guys to move around. So they have some experience in a different position, just in case they need that at the major league level is, is important. Um, it does, I think, you know, at times can, you know, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to play, play well defensively when you're moving around a lot. So again, you know, you look at it as a, as a situation of, okay, do we want him just to play here so that he gets this, you know, down, or do we want him to be able to play different positions and, and kind of grow into being good at, at all of them. And, and, um, it's, uh, it's, a uh, it's a tough, uh, tough thing to to monitor and keep track of, but but 
Um, I think it's good for the player just because it gives him an opportunity to like, hey, we need a right fielder. It's like, well, he's been playing right field and he's also been playing third. And those guys are are good defenders in the infield. Um, Addison Barger is a good defender in the infield, so he can do that. Rafael Lantigua has played a lot of outfield also, but he's a really good defender in the infield. So they still have that. But again, they're learning something that they can that they can use at the major league level if needed. So, how did uh, how did Aravis Martinez? I, I know you guys played him a bunch at second base down the stretch. He'd primarily yeah. been third and short uh, on his way up. How did he look in that in that early transition to second? He looks really good. I mean, he's uh, he's taken to that really well. He's uh, you know he has some work to do with uh, feeds and and turning the double play, but. Um, you know, his, his adjustment to it and getting on that side of the infield was much, much quicker than, than I would have thought. And he adapted to it very well. So it was good to see. I mean, he, uh, he did a great job. He made, made a couple of mistakes late in the season, but, um, nothing of any, um, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a matter of, he didn't look comfortable over there. He looked really well, really good. You mentioned Lantigua there, Rafael Lantigua, um, you know, infielder slash outfielder. He was a guy who saw a big spike in his walk rate this year. And uh, I was talking yeah. to a, a couple of the guys who have come up and they, you know, half joking, well, he he's short and the new system, you know, kind of calls those, you know, we've seen Davis Schneider come up here and not get the calls high in the zone at times that he would maybe get a triple a, uh, they, they kind of joked around that, that Lantigua would maybe face the same thing, but I'm curious, Casey, what is now that we have a season of it, the automated system, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the challenge system, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, what did you make of it season long? And obviously a guy like Lantigua or, or Horvitz or Schneider, they succeeded with it. They took advantage of the new system. Um, what did you think of it now that we have a kind of a year under our, belts with it um but you know the abs system is, is i mean it you know it gets all the pitches right apparently you know i mean <laughs> the technology is there <laughs> but um you know there, there's still some adjustments they need to make it, it what what the abs alone do, does is it, it does extend the uh the uh game time so mm. if that if that gets an issue if that gets put in the game's going to go back to three and a half hours you know three three and a half hours um, the challenge system seems to be more suited because the player or the catcher or pitcher can, can challenge the call by the umpire. So it kind of can keep them in check. So, um, you know, it, it did make a difference. I think just having this, just the ABS system with pitchers that, that get things on the corner and, you know, and, and borderline pitches and, and, um, you know, the ABS system, um, kind of made umpires work harder, I think, and, and have a, have a better idea of the strike zone and, um, you know, couldn't get away with flagrant misses, you know, like, and it's really not a testament to them because they're going to make mistakes, but it just helps that if they make a call, that's, you know, two balls outside to punch a guy out in a big situation, you could challenge it and, and it changes the outcome. So, you know, I think, I think the challenge system looks like the way to go. And, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it seemed to work here well. We kind of liked it. Hmm. Uh, so that's pitchers, that. I don't think at first pitchers really didn't like it, but but 
hitters, I think, you know, they liked it. <laughs> yeah. And I'd imagine catchers don't love it because it kind of takes away their value as uh, as pitch framers. Uh, if they're good at that, um, Casey, before I let you go here, uh, I know you've talked about this before, but for anyone who doesn't know, uh, your mother played pro baseball as well. You're one of the, you're the only mother son combination to play pro. Um, she was a part of that league that, that inspired uh, the film, a league of their own. And I, I know your brother is a, a filmmaker that was involved with that as well. Did you get a chance to watch Watch the television show of it that they made the other year. Um, you know what? I did. I watched a little bit of it. I just haven't had time to sit down and and uh, and watch the whole thing. I I, I kind of watched. I think one episode and 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 didn't didn't get back to it. But um, I, it, I, it's not, it's not on anymore, is it? No, no. They only got <laughs> one season, and then because of the yeah, yeah, yeah it just didn't get renewed for a, a second or got canceled yeah, right. late. Right. So, yeah, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I'm sure it's around somewhere where I can check it out. But um, so, yeah, I didn't really watch a lot of it. Yeah, well, the the movie still, I'm sure, holds a, a special place for uh, for you guys. It, it, how special is it for you to, um, you know, even even see that story continue to be told and retold, given that the role that your mother and your aunt played in that in that time? Oh, it's just pretty cool. To I mean, it's just uh, kind of amazing that to see that. You know, a lot of a lot of you know young young women and and grown women have watched it, and it was an inspiration to them, and kind of uh, really something that that kind of drove them to get involved in athletics, or whatever. And that's kind of cool to see that that those women of that time had that influence on on you know the modern women of today. So it's kind of cool to see that, and um, and I'm um, here about it. So it's just it was a they did a great job with it, and I think um, you know, just a, a pretty cool tribute to those women of that day that that kind of went out and and did something that uh, really wasn't uh, of that time. So it was kind of cool. It is cool, yeah. And you get to be uh, again, like I mentioned, a piece of history is the only uh, mother-son combination to do it. Uh, Casey Kendall, manager of the Buffalo Bisons, thank you for taking the time this morning. Uh, best of luck with this next, you know, week or two or whatever it ends up being or, or month. Uh, keeping guys ready for for the majors down at AAA. All right, thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Casey Kandel, manager of the Buffalo Bisons, former major leaguer with the Expos, the Astros, and with Cleveland. Uh, a lot of success down at Buffalo. Um, and yeah, trying to keep guys ready down there in case they're needed. Uh, you are allowed to have a bit of a taxi squad come playoff time, but this week while you're at home, uh, best you can do is uh, a ride down the QEW over in Buffalo. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I got the chance to speak with Jose Brios last night at a charity event he was putting together for La Gente del Barrio Home Run Derby and Celebrity Softball Game that'll take place in December down in San Juan, Puerto Rico. So we'll take a break. We'll play the interview uh, from last night. Jose Brios joins us next on Jay's Talk Plus on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. I had uh, the opportunity to go down to Barbarian Steakhouse last night where Jose Brios was having a fundraising event as part of his La Magina charity uh, and as part of 
an event he's putting on in San Juan, Puerto Rico on December 9th. It's the La Gente del Barrio Home Run Derby and Celebrity Softball Game uh, at the dinner last night. Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. out in support. Those people are expected to participate in the game in December. Uh, Vlad is going to bring over some Dominican players as well as the, the players from the Dominican Republic look to help Puerto Rico uh, not only continue to fundraise to rebuild baseball diamonds that were and still are damaged by hurricanes down in Puerto Rico, but to help uh, continue to try to regrow baseball in Puerto Rico where uh, youth enrollment rates are lower than they have been in the past. They've been passed by volleyball and basketball. It's something obviously Jose Brios is very, very passionate about and works to give back uh, two. So last night I got to sit down with Brios uh, at this event, hear a little bit about it, talk to him about the season that he's had as well and where the Jays find themselves heading into this final week. This is my chat with Jose Brios from last night. Well, Jose, thank you for doing this. I know today's a, a big day for you. So I, I guess to start, can you tell us a little bit about La Gente del Barrio? Uh, first of all, thank you guys. Thank you guys for, for having me here and support uh, in this activity. Uh, like you mentioned, like we have like uh, La Gente del Barrio here. So it's like, a, we call La Gente del Barrio, it's like a people of the the hood, like the neighbor, like kind of like calling like our brother, like like a good group or friend or whatever. So we call La Gente del Barrio. So that can be for any person living in the neighbor, growing up with, you know, young kid, good friend, and then stay together through get older. So we say, oh, this, this guy from my, my hood, so that's you say la gente. That this guy from my barrio, so that's why we call la gente del barrio. Okay, um, so this is going to be a home run derby and a celebrity softball game down in San Juan. Uh, can you give us a little early hint of any of the celebrities coming out? Uh, I mean, for sure. Like this kind of event is obviously for the kid, for a young kid, uh, also for the family. He's gonna be in Puerto Rico, like you mentioned. But uh, the first thing is just give that opportunity and happiness to the young kid. They are growing up watching us like an idol, like a big star. So uh, giving the opportunity to, to be part of this event and be more close to us and interact more like in person. So, yeah, we're going to have Vladdy, uh, Espinal, Kirk, Bichet, uh, me. I think also Vladdy invited a, a few, you know, good stars from Dominican. So, I mean, it's going to be fun. Obviously, we from Puerto Rico. We had a uh, Javi Baez, Edwin Diaz, Francisco Lindor, so we have a pretty bunch, a good group of player, but mostly persons. Um, so this event, uh, obviously, the Hurricanes have done damage in Puerto Rico. You're hoping to try to rebuild more baseball fields in those communities. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your time coming up in Puerto Rico and how important it was to you to have access to baseball fields and, and things like that? Yeah, so that's how I growing up playing baseball. Uh, my dad played baseball, my brother played baseball. I growing up in you know baseball field, so. Uh, this is my passion. Uh, that's uh, the 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 skill and talent God give to me. So I've been enjoying it so far, and I've been so blessed in my life. So I want to give that back. You know, bless those young people, those family need any help uh, in his life because it's not just in sport. It's you know, it's like overall like living. Uh, so you know, having the opportunity to 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 be blessed, to blessing other people, I think that's about what motivate myself day by day and that's what we do this kind of event uh like i say you just give it the opportunity to, to, to those kids 
to be involved with us, but at the same time, trying to find uh, found any help to you know impact those those people and family. Uh, so you said Vladdy's coming and maybe bringing some Dominican players. Uh, for you guys in Puerto Rico, how special is it to have the support and that brotherhood with the Dominican baseball community? Yeah, like you mentioned, we are like a brother. We are so close. Uh, Dominica and Puerto Rico is like 30 minutes flight. So we, if we had a bridge, we can drive. You know. Over like to the other island, but uh, also a lot of Dominicans live in Puerto Rico, so yeah, so we we kind of be like a same uh, culture. Uh, we, we spoke Spanish. We got same passion, same talent uh, about everything. So you know, ha- having that this uh, event and an opportunity in Puerto Rico with Puerto Rican and Dominican also people around the world. So because it's gonna be from Canada, state, uh, Dominican. So it's going to be special. Like, besides baseball, besides sport, we will be human. And having the opportunity to, to get all together and spend time uh, new, uh, new, new, more from each other. So that makes those kind of events special. Um, so I, I know you being from Puerto Rico and representing Puerto Rico is very important to you. I know you spoke to Hazel before the start, but now that it's in, in now that it's behind you, how special was it for you to get to start on Roberto Clemente Day? Yeah, it was special. Uh, I've been seeing uh, Roberto Clemente Day from I was in the building at 16, but in 20 we started using 21. So from 20 to 22, I've been using the 21, but I I, I didn't pitch in that game. So this, this year, 2023, I had the opportunity to pitch in that day. It was my bobblehead bo- <laughs> day in, in Toronto and also my little one, Diego, birthday. So it was a special day, but, you know, had opportunity to celebrate Roberto Clemente Day and pitching that night, make it special. And also we, we get the win that night, so uh, I'm so proud of that. That started a, uh, you guys have won seven of your last nine since then. You guys are playing some pretty good baseball. How is the team feeling right now heading into this last week? I mean, I think the team is, is a good, good, uh, good spot right now. The chemistry, the energy, and obviously how they feel like offensively, our pitching staff, and also you know, our defense in the, in the field. It, that's where we we want to be right now. You know, getting in the last week of the season, uh, regular season, try to keep pushing for make that playoff spot. So we 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 are so close there. So it's just still doing what we're doing and give our 100 percent in Tampa this weekend. Now, you weren't a part of all of these teams, but the Jays have had trouble in Tampa in the past. For you guys to go down there to take two of three against the team that you might play if you make the playoffs, uh, how important was that for, for the confidence and that momentum you mentioned? Sure. Like uh, like you say, we this, this past weekend we had two of a three. I think that gave us like that good uh, start or confidence to, hey, we, we, we can beat this guy in, in, in Tampa. So, I mean, baseball is not anything predictable, but... We had to play, you know, every every pitch, every out, every inning. But I, like I said, we had the opportunity to to go there and beat them. So it just keep playing the best work we are playing so far, and we're gonna be in a good spot. So that weekend, uh, a lot of offense in that one. Vladdy hits two home runs. George Springer has his inside the park home run. But you know, good pitching again, and good pitching has been the story of the season for you guys. Uh, you guys as a rotation, how high is that confidence level? You know, we always hear that pitching and defense are, are what's going to win you win you games in the playoffs. How good the rotation has been, you, the four and five of you this year. How high is the confidence level in that group? I mean, like you say, uh, all year long we're throwing the ball pretty well. 
I think the the way we we support each other, like the way we we motivate ourselves, like day by day during the bullpen section, also in the games, every night we 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 are all back. You know, we always be there for the starting was pitching. The, the other four was there for for the guy who was pitching that night. So that bring a lot of confidence. Obviously, you know you got in your mind that those guys had your back and believe in yourself. So. You go out there and do you to work because you got their support. So uh, the way we have been dealing, we are handle our our business. It was fun and obviously professional, so that's why we pitching pretty well. And also our uh, bullpen guys and they've been pitching pretty good games. They've been holding the game like right there to to give us, you know, to give our team the chance to win the ball games. For you personally, last year was obviously a little bit of a struggle, a little up and down. You've been back to the Jose Brios we all knew this year. What do you attribute, what do you think has gone into you having such a, a bounce back year and such a strong year this year? Uh, I think it's a lot of, you know, little thing, but the first two, I think my confidence, uh, just believing w- what I'm able to do it and this year I've been doing, like you said, I was to back the the old Jose Barrios, like the who I am. Uh, so, but yeah, I've been making better pitches, throw more quality strike, quality pitches uh, during the games, uh, you know, game by game. Uh, also, my I've been changed a lot of my kind of thing, but I think it was more mentally and just believe myself, like be positive and aggressive pitch by pitch. Uh, when it comes to mechanics, have you changed anything with your changeup? Some of the results are, are a little different. Obviously, it was strong before, but I noticed you're throwing it to righties a, a little bit more. Have you changed anything with that, or it's just more effective? I mean, yeah, we change it. I, the way we throw it, like the, the spot we want to throw it. Uh, and also, yeah, giving more confidence to that pitch, obviously going to help. and. Give, give me more room to, to use my sinker and slider uh, because now it's not just two pitches. Now we got three pitches. So the hitter has to think more about what pitch is going to come. So, yeah, but at the same time, I, I was uh, throwing better change like more quality change So you have been to the playoffs a number of times before. You've been there. Not everyone on this team has. Um, for you as a pitcher, does anything change in the playoffs or, or is it just try to stick to your routines as much as possible? I mean, for like for, for, for myself, we just, just trying to be to stay in the same routine. But obviously, a playoff game is gonna, it's more like faster, more uh, passionate. Like The games start getting more quicker, uh, faster, but that's when the good player, good pitcher, good, like uh, position player be great when they can handle that and just slow down the game, you know, you know, pitch by pitch, out, out by out and inning by inning. So I think if you can handle that, you're going to be in a good spot in playoff. But yeah, baseball, baseball, regular season and postseason is the, is the same, but it's get, it get in postseason, get more adrenaline and obviously more passion. Do you think the World Baseball Classic helps with that experience? You, you, some of you guys have been through that and the intensity is just as high in those? Yeah, yeah, I think I can compare, compare WBC to, uh, with, with the postseason game. So you guys have a couple of guys, Vlad, Bo, George Springer, at the top of the lineup. I know a couple of them are here with you tonight. Uh, those guys seem to be finding finding their groove here right before the playoffs. Are you are you feeling that as well? Yeah, I mean, I think, like I say, we are in good spot right now. The way they, they, they've they been feeling in the, in the plate, the box. Uh, also, Alejandro Quirk, he's been catching more and been feeling better in the in the, in the the box. So he's going to help those guys you mentioned, like George, Bo, Vladi. 
So Billo has been having good at bat too. So I think our team, like I say, is a good spot right now. So we we so excited. In the celebrity game in Puerto Rico, uh, there is a home run derby too. Do you think Vlad will win that home run derby also? I mean, for sure. Like uh, he he been winning everything. Like mainly home run derby. He went to Puerto Rico like three years ago and also win a uh, another celebrity home run. So I think he can beat anyone. Also, he can be his dad. <laughs> will, will you step in there and hit any home runs? I mean, I did uh, last time I, we, we was in Puerto Rico, but I don't know. I, I, I don't believe I can be bloody. <laughs> okay, that's, that's fair. Uh, before I let you go here, for anyone who wants to learn more about what you're doing in Puerto Rico, what you're doing this winter, um, what, what would you like people to know? Where, where can they find out more? Uh, I mean, yeah, like I always been available to, to help people, like I say, like young people, any young people, like any family. It doesn't matter if you play baseball, basketball, any any sport, any any person. I mean, just for living living style. So any people need help and family, be issue with you know with life. We are always gonna be able uh, available and involved to help them. So uh, I say from my foundation, La Máquina. So we had like a I had like a good really really good group of work working on that foundation. They've been uh, been helping me growing that foundation and found a lot of good thing for, like I say, for the kid and family. So now having Bloody and his foundation in Balto, I know we're gonna impact more people and get more help to to to, to bless those, those family and, and, and people. La Gente del Barrio, Home Run Derby and Celebrity Softball Game, December 9th in San Juan. We'll direct people uh, to more information there. Jose Brios, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that, and God bless you all. That was Jose Brios uh, last night at an event fundraising for his La Gente del Barrio Home Run Derby and Celebrity Softball Game. That's December 9th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. You can uh, search that out for more information. I'm sure Jose Brios on his social medias will have more as well. A really good cause there trying to raise funds to rebuild some diamonds in Puerto Rico that were affected by the hurricanes and just generally try to continue to regrow the game of baseball at a grassroots level in Puerto Rico uh, as youth enrollment declines a little bit over the last couple of years. Uh, something Jose Brios is obviously very passionate about. Uh, you could sense him getting excited and passionate there as well about playoff baseball. It's something he's pitched in a handful of times before. The Jays obviously made it last year. Uh, he did not get an opportunity to pitch because they didn't go three games. They were in and out of Rogers Center quickly. This year, they will only play playoff games at Rogers Center if things go really well in the wild card. They will, of course, be on the road for the wild card series if they make the postseason. However, if they make it past the wild card, well, then you're talking five game series, then you're talking seven game series. They will be here at Rogers Center if they make it as far as the ALDS. And those division series tickets go on sale to the general public on Thursday. At 10 a.m., you can go to bluejays.com slash postseason. Uh, you can also secure immediate access for postseason tickets this year by becoming a 2024 full season ticket member or quarter season ticket member. You can find out more about that at bluejays.com slash season tickets. Uh, so bluejays.com slash postseason. If you want to take a look at the first on sale for the divisional series Thursday at 10 a.m., or bluejays.com slash season tickets if you want to jump the line by buying a package for next year. Next year, by the way, the Rogers Center will have, once again, different 
dimensions as they uh, shrink the foul territory and continue to change the sight lines a little bit to be a little bit more fan friendly, get a little more seats down uh, toward field, field level. Shai Davidi had a piece at sportsnet.ca yesterday about some of the changes to Rogers Center now that we have almost a season's worth of data. And that data is kind of conflicting. So if you remember back to the the preseason when I was on fan drive time with Ben Ennis instead of Jay's Talk Plus, I ran some simulations as to what, and these were crude simulations, as to how Rogers Center may play with the new dimensions and wall heights. And I came away from that thinking it was going to go slightly more pitcher friendly than we were used to trade some home runs for more doubles and triples and batting average, but it would come out a slight edge in favor of pitchers. Mike Petriel of MLB.com came on with us. His modeling with the stack cast stuff said the opposite. It was going to be more home run friendly. Well, a year worth of data and we look at Shai's piece and it kind of were, were both right. Uh, more home runs are being hit than would be expected based on the batted ball stuff, but offense is down overall at Rogers center. It's a weird thing. It makes you think maybe this is personnel based. Some of the blue Jays hitters are not having as good of a season as we maybe anticipated. They have, we've said it a, a, as many times as you could say it over the course of a season, just how good this pitching staff has been um, both in the rotation and the bullpen. It is there is potential for the Blue Jays to finish with the best ERA in all of baseball. So maybe that's not park factors. Maybe that's just, hey, you have a lot of really good pitchers um, and your hitters are just having down years. It's not as simple as that. Generally, we need about three years of park factors uh, before we can say anything with reliability about how a ballpark plays. But an interesting piece at sportsset.ca for you to check out. Uh, maybe check it out during the break because when we come back, Chris Black is going to join us in studio for the second hour here. We'll talk about some of that. We'll look at some other trends like, hey, knee aside, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. looks pretty good lately. Couple homers on the weekend. Some really good swing decisions. Uh, we'll take a look at him. Some improvements for Alejandro Kirk. Uh, we'll take a look at the Jordan Romano decision from Saturday and see if those flags that people have brought up from Jordan, about Jordan Romano are red flags, yellow flags, pale yellow flags, just flags. I don't know. We'll, we'll take a look. We'll look at all of that and we'll set up this series with the New York Yankees where the Toronto Blue Jays could clinch a playoff spot for the 2023 postseason. Chris Black joins us next as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Chris Black, producer at Sportsnet, at Down to Black on Twitter, joins us in studio now for the hour in a tremendous cardigan. Thank you. I always wonder, like, how much, how deep do I go into the cardigan or the music when I always wonder about those podcast listeners? But you know what? I like the cardigan. It's a it, classic winner's buy. Here's the thing. The music, people will occasionally <laughs> complain when I talk about the music. It's like 20 seconds off the top of a segment. You'll survive. Uh, the sweater, well, hey, fire on Sports at 360 if you want to <laughs> see what Chris is uh, is wearing. In, in my estimation, it's still a little too nice out for a cardigan. That That's a thicker sweater. But, uh, yeah, you're built different. There's always, I don't need much to wear a cardigan or a hoodie. There's always, once the temperature starts to dip, just a touch, 
the hoodies and the cardigans are coming out. All right. So I teased it before the break. We'll, we'll get serious on baseball. Uh, Shai Davidi had a piece up at sportsnet.ca yesterday that tried to make heads or tails of how the Rogers Center has played this year. And for anyone who missed us talking about it a second ago, um, basically heading into the season, there were conflicting opinions, conflicting simulations on how the new Rogers Center would play. And by the way, this is only going to get more complicated data-wise next year when they shrink the foul ground. And that's not going to have a significant impact, but there are a handful of catchable balls that then become foul balls. So it, it should... If Rogers Center played more pitcher-friendly this year, shorter foul ground will nudge it a little bit back toward the hitters. But the data so far this year is conflicting, and that is true anything, anytime with the ballpark because we usually need about three years' worth of data. But this year it's interesting because offense at the Rogers Center, descriptively, has been down. The Blue Jays do not hit home runs at home at big numbers. Offense in general in games at the Rogers Center is lower than years past and low generally. And there are a couple potential explanations for that. We thought heading into the year, maybe the new dimensions, even though they were in more because of the wall height would suppress home runs. That is, that was one school of thought. One school of thought was home runs would go up because the walls being closer. And when we model the batted balls and things like that, um, it could have gone either way. Now what's actually happened is Offense is down. The Blue Jays hitters have not hit very well at Rogers Center. The Blue Jays pitchers have been very good at Rogers Center. Yet underneath that, there is a net effect of plus 24 home runs this year at Rogers Center that compared to last year's Rogers Center. When we when we lay over the batted ball stuff, there are 24 extra home runs we've gotten this year. Uh, 29 that went out that wouldn't have gone out last year. Five that did not go out that would have gone out last year. So a net of plus 24. So Chris... Offense is down, home runs are down, but when we track the batted ball stuff, home runs are actually up relative to what they would have been last year. We can't really draw conclusions from any of this, but what comes first to mind for you? Is it that, man, the Jays just, the, it's it's just a personnel thing on the offense side and, uh, and on the pitching side? Is it a, maybe a year of data is still just too noisy? Where do you come down on this kind of uh, paradoxical result? Paradoxical. That's a big word for early in the morning. Um, no, I thought you you laid it out really well there. I thought it was a really good piece by Shy. Uh, good time to do it right towards the end of the year, right before the first or the last homestand of the year. Um, and I liked that it was a good mix of stats, good mix of quotes from uh, big players and pitchers, hitters for the Jays. Um, but yeah, like to me, the takeaway is conflicting and paradoxical and all that stuff. Um, to me, what stands out probably more than anything is the 24 number that you mentioned that, mm -hmm. you know, based on the batted ball stuff, if those, if, you know, it's added 24 home runs, that those home runs, those balls would have hit the wall or gone to the gap or whatever in the old, under the old dimensions. So when, after I read the piece, I read it last night, I kind of looked at, I said, well, something's not making sense here. It's adding more home runs. Why is offense down? What could be the various reasons? And you you laid out a couple. To me, maybe the biggest kind of um, culprit. Yeah, something in there in the favor that leans towards yeah the personnel has changed both on pitching and hitting side is the amount of barrels, uh, the amount of barreled baseballs at the dome. So last year they were the second most in baseball. Uh, in terms of by venue, like if you group all the barrels hit in Major League Baseball, group them by venue, group them by stadium, Rogers Center was number two last year. The performance of those barrels 
was kind of middle of the pack in terms of average, slugging, whatever. Performance of the barrels, middle of the pack, which kind of lends itself to the idea that last year Rogers Center played pretty neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, it's playing neutral again. Those barreled baseballs, same, similar kind of average, similar kind of slugging percentage, right around league average, but there have been far fewer barreled baseballs at the Dome. So to me, that says, you know, you've traded away run creation for run prevention. You've got a few guys having some down years and your pitching staff is as deep as maybe it's ever been. So combine all those factors. I think it has more to do with that than, you know, the big walls are taking away home runs or anything like that. Like to me and the big conclusion is it's too early, as you said, to really know for sure. But to me, that big drop in barreled baseballs, at the Dome, I think that's what it has to do. There are some quotes from guys in Shai's piece. Again, it's a must-read um, where, you know, they say it felt like some balls were dying at the wall. Maybe that's the case, but all I'm saying is it just feels like there have been far fewer squared-up baseballs this season. And we always have the complicating factors at Rogers Center with some of the data is with the roof closed, some of the data is with the roof open. When the roof open, that tells you... When the roof is open, it tells you something about the weather that day, and we know weather can have an impact on baseballs. Uh, So there's always a lot going on at Rogers Center, but the, the short version there is, compared to last year, when you hit a ball well, the results are roughly the same as last year. The ball is just being hit well less often, which we think is probably more personnel thing. Uh, the one other note that I'll add from Shai's piece, and again, go over to sportsset.ca and check that out. I would say we're still very, very curious as to how this is going to play over a larger sample over the bullpens and right down the line. The left center field to right center field part of the ballpark, at least from a home run perspective, is a plus 21 minus zero impact on home runs. I think we can pretty safely say that that part of the ballpark, the kind of middle sliver of the pie, is at least playing a little bit more home run friendly, uh, given that kind of plus 21 relative to what we'd have expected last year. And that's what we, when we first saw the dimensions. The power alleys, right? That's what stood out. That's where it really kind of shortened up. That's where it really seemed like, hey, that's when we thought Dalton Varsho might have 35 home runs, and that's where we thought... I don't know about that number. (laughs) That's where we thought Vladdy and Bo were going to hit Oppo Field all day long, and it just, it hasn't happened. And who knows, like by, well, it has in terms of a net, but they haven't had that kind of big jump. But who knows, as you said, maybe in a year or two, the more comfortable they get, some guys have some more normal seasons than for what we were expecting. But yeah, like I said, it was a... It was an interesting piece to go through, and it's been an interesting kind of ballpark to watch games in because there's just been weird stuff. Because as Shy alludes to, there's still like weird home road splits for the Jays that don't make a lot of sense. So there's a lot to chew on, and I, as you said and as we've said a couple times, it'll take a couple years to get the full picture. Yeah, and, and to be clear, this data is also – it's looking at both the Blue Jays and the visiting team. So if you're hearing plus 21 home runs and going like, what the heck? No, no way. The Jays haven't hit 21 home runs at home, it feels like, this year. Uh, this includes opponents. And you mentioned there are some re- weird home road splits individually. In fact, the weirdest thing is maybe that only the catchers hit well at home. Like Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen are the only guys with like a big positive split at home. Um, Danny Jansen, I think that has always been the case. But like you have Vlad, who's been a league average hitter at Roger Center. 
Yeah. And you have, sorry, George Springer, Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, have, and Kevin Kiermaier have all been basically league average-ish hitters at home. And then Dalton Varshall, for whatever reason, like he's in a buck 80 at home with a 250 OBP. He has not been good at Rogers Center. Um, so, yeah, there's some weird individual stuff going on here as well. Yeah, the thing with, as a producer, like on pregame shows, games, whatever, I almost never talk about home road stuff because I never know what to, what, where to jump off from, where you take the conversation. It's kind of the, it's kind of similar to the conversations we've had more so earlier in the year about runners and scoring position, why I don't focus on it a lot on shows I work on, just because I don't know where you go from. You can put the numbers up on a screen and say, hey, look, they're not doing well. And if it's what do you do? Hey, go play on the road more. Yeah, like I I just don't know. I don't know what's behind it. Well, this is why the Jays aren't in the wild card one spot. Oh man, that way that way they can play on the road in the wild card series. Yeah, who knows? Uh, It feels like man, they're going to be facing Tampa so much over the next little bit. But yeah, like I just home road. I just don't know what to necessarily do with that stuff, which is why I don't really focus on it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's it's notable and it's interesting to look at, but unless you, it's like a, a conspiracy theory or something, right? You got to be able to give me the why. For me to really, uh, otherwise I'll just be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You, if you got, you have to give me a good why. It's why the, you know, in it for, along with a number of other reasons, the flat earth thing never made sense to me (laughs) because like, there's no way to make more money off of it. You would make more money by convincing people the earth is flat because flights would be longer and more difficult and stuff. You got to give me the why. So I'd need to know why things are a certain way on the road versus at home. And so far the data is inconclusive to that regard. I have nothing to add on flat earth conspiracy theories. Just, I mean, every any conspiracy theory, I'd be follow the money. And if your conspiracy theory doesn't follow the money accurately, then I got nothing. So uh, on the home road splits, we mentioned that Vlad is a league average hitter at home. Now, there are a lot of things going on with Vlad's season. We've obviously talked about them a ton over the course of the year. And hanging over everything right now is the status of his knee, where it's not 100%. He's still dealing with soreness. It, as I understand it, it's taped up pretty heavily before games. Hasn't gotten as bad as like needing um, you know, one of those anti-inflammatory injections or anything like that, but it's wrapped up pretty good. Despite that, he had an all right weekend. He was looking pretty good before he hit the shelf uh, as well. He had that three-game home run streak, which is the only time he's ever done that outside of the first half of 2021. Uh, he had two homers in a game against Tampa and, and had a, a good series generally with four hits and four walks. Um, look, sometimes Vlad is just so good and talented that he can have bad process and bad mechanics and swing into some home runs. This is the conversation we've had with Joe Siddle a couple of times where to tell if Vlad is back or going to go on a streak here, you have to look at more than just the results because the talent will just win out even with poor process sometimes. Now, I don't think Joe is all the way there with some of the mechanics and the hand placement and the hip hinge and things like that. But Chris, I know that this weekend, even leading up to the knee injury for most of September, you're seeing some pretty good underlying indicators with Vlad. For sure. Uh, last year when we, I feel like late in the year, you and I talked about Bo Bichette nearly every week, especially in kind of September. He was pretty good in September. <laughs> he was pretty good. And the discussion and the theme around that stuff was we know Bo's never going to be the most elite in terms of plate discipline, taking pitches, but we saw his swing decisions improve before that hot streak began that we saw some really good stuff in terms of him laying off certain pitches, especially pitches on the edge of the strike zone 
Um, and we always talked about the challenge with those two guys and how crazy talented they are is they can hit a pitch on the edge of the zone and do something with it. That doesn't mean they can do it all the time, but these guys, you know, there's only so many people in the world who can hit a fastball four inches off the inside corner from Garrett Cole and hit it into the gap 400 feet for a home run. Um, there's only so many people that can take an inside fastball at 97 and splice it into right field the way Bo can. So those two guys can do things that other people can't. Um, and with Vladdy, what sticks out this month is it's one of his most patient months ever. He's swinging the bat less than ever, just overall, chasing as low as he ever has. It's around 20%. And what I really like and what really makes me think the swing decisions have improved is what he's doing early in the count. So really not chase, and it's not just about chasing in versus out of the strike zone. It's that zone we've talked about so much, the edge, the edge of the zone. And especially if you just look at, Pitches just out of the strike zone, but on the edge. And, so, and why we want to break this down by count is if you are later in a count and you have two strikes or you've seen a number of pitches from a pitcher, then yeah, your swing rate on edge pitches is probably going to be higher. You got to play defensive. You got to expand a little bit if you're in a uh, pitcher's count and things like that. But early in the count, that tells us a lot about a guy's process and about a guy's approach. So what are you seeing early in count? So obviously you mentioned it. Vlad's chase rate overall is down. We can break that down by pitch. His chase rate is way down on fastballs, on breaking balls, and on off speed right now. Uh, but what are you seeing specifically early in the count there was a fan graphs story somebody wrote i wish but i came across a quote i can't remember if somebody else was talking about it i think mike petriello tweeted about it but somebody on the orioles was talking about swing decisions and they said something to the effect of that before two strikes you might be better off just taking a strike or even swinging through a strike rather than trying to weakly swing and make contact and make an out um that stuck with me, and what I did was look at Vladdy's pre-two-strike swing rate and looked at pitches, as we talked about, on the edge and just out. So just, just out of the strike zone, how often he's swinging at those pitches before two strikes. You can't fault a guy if he's swinging at those pitches with two strikes. He's protecting, doesn't want to get called out. So you got to look at it before two strikes. Before... September, he was up around 40% for the year. And almost every month, he was up at around 40% swinging at those pitches. That's pretty high. I think it was around top 50 or so in the league. League average is 40.7%. Exactly. In, so basically, he went from being a very aggressive relative to league average edge swinger in those counts to at least being league average. Well, now And now he's down to like 25%, especially if you look at that edge out uh, rate. It's dropped so much in September. And to me, like that is... To me, like that stat is Vladdy's swing decisions. It's before two strikes. Let's sit back. Let's get something we can demolish. And that's what we've seen from him on a couple of his home runs on the weekend. Middle, middle. Like the more you wait, big league pitchers will make mistakes. They will leave something middle, middle. And he's been hitting those. So to me, it's about swing decisions. I like, uh, I wish Joe was here because when we, he used to be here uh, last year, we'd have these conversations. I would always say, I like when we mildly disagree about things. And I do, the one place where I mildly disagree with Joe is I do feel like Vladdy doesn't need perfect mechanics to be super productive. Now, we're probably talking and agreeing about the same thing in terms of, yes, to get back to 2021 Vladdy, he probably still needs to fix up some stuff mechanically. But there's a big gap between 
some of the Vladimir Guerrero stuff we've seen this season and 2021 Vlad. So I think he can come close to that by just improving swing decisions, being better early in the counts, being better before two strikes. And we've been seeing that this month. Uh, the piece you were wondering about, by the way, David Lorela had a, a Q&A with Austin Hayes of the Orioles. And he said, yeah, sometimes you get halfway through your swing. You realize it's a slider. You're better off to just keep going and swing through it instead of slowing your swing down and trying to manipulate the contact. Uh, there was a lot of great stuff from Austin Hayes in that piece. Um, with Vladdy. So after I read that, I went and looked at, we talked about last week, we started dipping our toes in bat speed stuff. And I wondered if something about Vladdy's swing decisions might've revealed themselves in bat speed stuff. Um, and the one thing that stood out was his average bat speed has gone up, kind of especially in September. You know this is down, right? Yeah, so you, you made no, your no hand. No one can see this. Okay, yeah. So no, for those of you I, listening on the radio, Chris <laughs> just made a hand down motion as he was saying it's gone up. Listen, it's it's been a long few days. Have another couple sips of coffee there, man. I will. Um, so in September, his average bat speed has gone up. And what I looked, what was interesting to me is it hasn't really gone up because he's been swinging hard more often he's been swinging he's had way fewer soft swings mm. in september so way fewer of these swings that are like 60 miles an hour and what we were just talking about what i would think is way more of these protect you know like swing 60 miles an hour over a pitch that's on the edge before two strikes again two strikes do whatever you got to do keep the ball foul it off but he's had fewer of those swings where it's just kind of not his best swing so to me, it's swing decisions, not swinging at bad pitches, and also swinging with conviction when he swings. And I think those last two things go together. And when we talk about swing decisions, it's not about necessarily trying to get the pitch count up, trying to work a walk. It's about not wasting your plate appearance on a pitch that you can, yeah, make contact with but not do damage with, right? It's swing decisions is also about, yeah, I mean, if you take a walk and you strike out less, awesome. But it's also about making the pitcher come to you in areas that – you can do damage on and this is you know you you called it in a in a note to me earlier that canary in the coal mine with Bo's hot streak last year we saw it coming we saw it a little bit with springer when he got hot uh beforehand and in your you know obviously a an optimist view on this but it probably the the correct view as well is that this is a pretty good indicator of where vlad is at knee health aside for sure and we always come back to in september the way the schedule has gone like you don't know how much Quality of competition plays into it. The schedule was soft early in September. Well, they're about to face the one, two, and Cy Young here in Michael King and uh, and, and <laughs> Gary Michael Cole again. King was filthy last week. Like, yeah, we'll talk about him a little bit yeah, as we tee up the game later. Like but. I, I know Jays fans sometimes get frustrated when a starter shuts them down, but sometimes you just need to tip your cap. Like uh, I can't remember the line that somebody said, but pitchers drive nice cars too. Yeah, I don't remember who it came from, but like that. That stuff was filthy, and he looks really, really good. So yeah. Esteban Rivera had a really good piece of fan graphs on what's gone into Michael King's uh, Michael King's changes and what's made him so effective there. So yeah, it's going to be a good challenge over the next kind of week or so. But I'm just I like you have to like as a Jays fan where Vladdy currently is heading into the postseason. And he's not alone. So I know that the Jays as a team in September are top five in walk rate. They are. They have the second lowest swing percentage in all of baseball in September. And again, swings is one of those things. It's like pace in basketball where it's not necessarily a good or a bad stat. It's contextual. And why are you playing with pace or playing without pace? Why are you swinging more or swinging less? Um, but the Jays are swinging the second 
least often in all of baseball because they have the lowest chase rate in all of baseball. And yeah, a, a, a portion of this could be that a guy like David Schneider is playing more. Spencer Horwitz is getting the odd appearance. Kevin Biggio is an everyday player, but we're also seeing not only is Vlad dramatically changed his chase rate in September, but Kevin Biggio, you and I talked about it last week. I think that, yeah, some of it is like Kevin was always a patient guy, but over the course of this year, he has gotten dramatically better at exactly what we're talking about here. And while the results aren't unbelievable yet on the, you know, baseball card stats, Alejandro Kirk's gotten back to a lot of the swing decisions that made him so effective last year. Kirk for sure. Biggio for sure. Like those are two guys. You make, you make a great point. Like there, it feels like it's a team wide approach. I always don't. Usually I look at things on an individual basis. Usually I think there isn't baseball's a team game filled with a bunch of individual events. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder when Schneider came up and had his like instantaneous success, Guys must have taken notice. And obviously everyone has made it to the big leagues. They're all making millions of dollars. Like, But you have to, you must see what he's doing. Like he wasn't swinging at anything out of the zone. And when he was swinging in the zone, he was swinging out of his shoes. And it was working. <laughs> and I just wonder, like I don't, I'm not saying, this isn't me saying that's the primary reason behind this shift. But I wonder when a guy like Schneider comes up, has success, when Biggio gets into the lineup, has success. I wonder if there is a cascading effect on everyone in the lineup. And you're da- uh, you're right about Kirk. He's down. His swing rate's down about ten percent uh, in September compared to March, August. The other guy whose walk rate has perked up a bit, swing rates per uh, gone down. Chase rate is Varsho. Varsho's gotten more selective in September. It's it's a whole whack of guys. Like I really don't. When you look. It's Guerrero, Kirk, and Biggio for sure who have had the most pronounced changes in September so far. But Varsho's up there. Springer's walk rate's up. Chapman's swing decisions have gone a little better. So it's it's a lot of players. It's a big chunk of their lineup where it feels like it, things have improved this month. And if you look at Alejandro Kirk, um, look, the bar was pretty high for him, and he started the season so poorly offensively that uh, it's going to take – you know, the numbers just aren't going to get there right Uh, on the season. It's just not going to get back to the batting line, but he has a 777 OPS in the second half of the season. And that's while he's playing a lot more. He's back in the second half of the season to walking more than he struck out. And yeah, the power isn't, uh, isn't crazy or anything like that. But even his isolated slugging is at 152 in the second half for a guy like Kirk, who's more of a contact oriented and plate approach oriented guy. Um, that is, you know, that's higher than it was last year. It's not as high as it was in 2021, but uh, so steps in the right direction there. Varsho has also been better in the second half, but we are lowering the bar a little too much with the second half results to say that uh, still uh, a little below league average with a 712 OPS in the second half. Big picture. It's nice to see that guys are having more specific approaches at the plate, being a little bit more selective, being a little smarter in their decisions. And after we take a break here, we're going to talk about the Jays potentially getting back today. Someone who is kind of the king of swing decisions in Brandon Bell. Uh, another guy you could potentially add into the high or middle part of the order who works good plate appearances, doesn't give stuff away in terms of swinging at bad pitches like Chapman, some swing and miss in the zone. What are you going to do? It's a, it's a longer swing. You're 34, 35 years old, but another guy who could add some selectivity in there, but let's take a break first. We'll take a look at Brandon Belt's return. What it could mean lineup wise uh, as well, because the Jays are, if assuming Belt comes off the IL as expected today, 
Jays are fully healthy other than Danny Jansen. So uh, going to be a bit of a crunch there. We'll also talk some Jordan Romano, some Kevin Gosman splits and tee up tonight's series with the New York Yankees as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Chris Black, sports set producer at Down to Black on Twitter, still with us here. So we uh, we talked about some of the guys moving in the right direction in terms of swing decisions and approach at the plate down the stretch here. Tonight, we anticipate, it's not official yet, but we think Brandon Belt will be back. And he is uh, another one of those guys, a guy who has uh, certainly met and probably even exceeded expectations this year. And yeah, there's some real swing and miss in the profile. He is an odd guy to fire up the baseball savant page for or Statcast page for, because he chases less than pretty much anyone and he swings and misses more than just about everyone. Uh, so, you know, that's a, I, I would imagine him not swinging outside of the zone is not only management of the strike zone and trying to work good plate appearances. It's probably at least a little bit of acknowledgement of what he can and can't get to and do damage with these days. Uh, if Brennan belt is back tonight, Chris, uh, I guess before we talk about, you know, his potential role in a wild card series or something like that, uh, what are you looking for? We've got six games here. He's obviously pretty much a plug and play guy at this point in his career, but you're going to want to see something to make sure he is, you know, start every day ready for a wild card series in which they won't face a left-handed starter. Yeah, I, I don't need to see too much from him, to be honest. I, I trust the process. I trust his ability to recognize pitches. I trust his swing decisions. He's just been really, really good this year. When you look at age 35, like when they signed him, I didn't expect a season this good. I, I like I liked him. I, I saw what how good he was a couple of years previous, but to have his OPS plus before this year for his career was 123. And in his age 35 season to be 10 or whatever percent better than that, like that is a huge win for the Jays to get that out of Brandon Belt. Um, so, yeah, in terms of what I'm looking for, you're just, to me, it's about how is he seeing pitches? Is he, you know, is he laying off the stuff at the edge of the zone? Is he laying off those fastballs up? Like that's what you're going to see come playoff time if he's in the lineup and I expect he will be, you know, there'll be fastballs up and, when he was going, when he's going really good, he has such an innate ability to, I'm going to raise my hand to go, to denote up here, um, to identify which fastballs are just out of the zone at the top and which are the ones he should go after. Like you could, that that is really, really hard to do in baseball. Like, because they all look good when they come at, when it comes out of the hand and it's coming at, it's really hard to discern, is that at my belt or is that up near my chest? And he is so, so good at knowing an inch or two uh, for him. So discernment of the strike zone, especially at the top of the zone, is what I guess I'm kind of looking for. But also, if he's healthy, he's pretty much locked in as my cleanup guy for come or wherever you want to put him. But he's in my lineup come wildcard round. So that's what I was going to ask next. Uh, unless the Rays do something 
unexpected on the weekend where the games don't really matter and call someone up or use a bullpen guy to start. Uh, the Jays won't see a lefty until the ALDS at the earliest. Uh, the Minnesota Twins do not have a lefty in their rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays do not have a lefty in their rotation. Carlos Rodon is the only lefty for the Yankees, and he is not slated to start in this series. So it's all righties. So we can do a little bit of playing around with the lineup stuff with a safe assumption of only righties in meaningful games for the next little bit. Um, the Jays, when Vlad has been in the lineup, have rolled with basically the same lineup now a couple games in a row. Now, Matt Chapman's shuffled around a little bit, but it's basically been Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, Biggio, and Chapman. Um, sometimes Kirk has jumped ahead of Chapman. They've kind of played the matchups uh, with that, but that is basically your top six. And I think even though, you know, I, I know some people's patients have worn thin with Matt Chapman a little bit offensively, I think we can pretty safely say those six guys are in a wild card lineup. Do you agree with that? Uh, 100%. Now, the interesting part of that is Kevin Biggio's inclusion. We'll circle back to that in a second. Yeah. But Brandon Bell, lineup-wise, you could make a case for him slotting in three because it breaks up the righties a little bit and makes a manager's bullpen decisions just a little harder. You could slot him in four, and the explanation being, well, you don't want to disrupt Springer, Bichette, Guerrero when, when they're hitting well right now. Uh, do you have a lean on that in, in a playoff series? Not really, other than for me, if Vladdy stays at this level um, toward to the end of the season, it would be hard for me to justify taking him out of the first three spots mm -hmm. in the order. That's the only thing. And I, again, like you and I have talked about this, I don't view it as a huge call one way or the other. But generally speaking, I like my, you know, my two best hitters to both be guaranteed to come up in the first inning and be close to coming up in the later in the game. Um, so that would be the only reason why I would lean belt going four. Um, but the interesting part is if to me is if it's all these righties coming up, if it's Kiermaier and Varsho in left and center, if belts DHing, and so then it becomes second base, but I can't think of how often they've really had four lefties in the lineup and where, how you slot those guys especially if they're all in the bottom six spots in the order. So right. it you, gets so interesting. If you put, yeah. And so this is where you get into, I mean, look, you want to make decisions difficult for an opposing manager. A lot of teams don't carry a lot of lefties anyway in their bullpen at this point in time. So you want to make that decision of when to use your best lefty difficult. And if it's Brandon Belt hitting third and you want to bring that in to neutralize Brandon Belt, and then you've got Vlad coming up fourth, um, that's tough. Now, if you have four lefties in the lineup, it gets a little simpler for the opposing manager because somewhere in the lineup, unless you space them out three, five, seven, nine. And that's where I was like, as we were talking about this, like that's where I was like, oh, that's where belt kind of does make belt sense. Three, Biggio five, Varsho seven, Kiermaier nine. Now, look, the, you get into, are you overthinking it kind of Correct. questions? Because is a manager even going to be all that worried about, you know, the Dalton Varsho, Kevin Kiermaier chunk of the order you're also probably pinch hitting for a couple of those guys with davis schneider off the bench or whit merrifield off the bench uh if it's late enough in the game when a lefty comes in so some of this stuff kind of resolves itself but you at least want to push the burden of the chess game onto kevin cash or rocco baldelli yeah like well to, to respond to one comment there i'm always overthinking things yeah. <laughs> that's definitely one thing i'll do um but yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't think you need to necessarily force yourself into three, five, seven, nine, because I do think it's also interesting of if you slot a couple lefties together, as you just said, like 
almost inducing a change. You, you bait the pinch hit. Yeah, knowing that you've got Schneider on the bench or something like that. So, I, yeah, the chess game's interesting. I also, um, when I said 100% to that earlier, like Bichio, I'm not sure he's 100% for me because I do, but I do think it's between... I do think it's between him and Merrifield right now. And I honestly don't think like this is again, a bit of an overthinking part. I think it'll come to, I think they could both be productive in the right moments. I think it'll come down to who the starting pitcher is. Are there certain pitches that Biggio hits? Well, are there certain pitches that Merrifield hits? Well, they'll figure all that out. And I listen, they've, they've gotten contributions from their entire order all season long. I did a search yesterday I'm not sure if it's still active, but the Jays, according to baseball reference, had 12 players with one win above replacement or more, and that's the most in baseball. So, again, they've gotten contributions from their entire roster this year, and I still think even in a short series, they'll do that again. They will lean on guys who are on the bench. So I just – it's interesting to think about this stuff, but I think regardless of who starts – Biggio, Merrifield, and Schneider will all have a chance to contribute in a wild card round. Uh, it's funny. I, I know you used baseball reference, so it's a, a different stat, but I, click, I quickly clicked Vlad to see if he was one of the ones with one or more because there was a chunk there where by Fangraphs war, he was sticking below below a win there for a little bit, but he's north of it uh, north of it now. So yeah, the Biggio Merrifield slash Schneider decision is one to watch. And, and I know you feel strongly about Varsho being in left field, at least when Kevin Gosman's on the hill. Um, we'll see if they agree because that is the other potential there is, well, if you really want the bad of two of Biggio Merrifield Schneider, Whit Merrifield could go to left field and Varshall could be a, a super subtype that comes in as a pinch runner slash defense replacement or a, a lefty pinch hit against a, a tough righty out of the bullpen. Not a, probably not a elite velo. Like you're, you're probably not having him go against you on Duran, but uh, yeah, a different type of, of very good righty there. Um, but you are still pretty firmly in the Varsho in the, in the outfield for the, the run prevention side. I think so. But also it could be, listen, he might, he might start on the bench in one of the games in one of the first two games. And, but even if he starts on the bench, I think we would see him in the fifth or sixth inning, mm-hmm. because I don't think they will, if they're holding on to a lead, uh, they will not, he will get into the game very early. I don't think they will leave elite defensive players on the bench in a postseason game this year. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I like the way you said that. And I, I don't like the way you said that also, okay. just the the memories it uh, it conjures up. Uh, okay, so you you had made the argument last week on the show that, you know, that Varsho decision is especially true with Kevin Gosman on the Hill because Kevin Gosman is someone who benefits from a strong defense behind him. And we've seen that bear out in last year's batting average on balls in play compared to this year. We saw a game where, you know, Dalton Varshall wasn't in there that Gosman pitched in recently and it probably cost him uh, a couple of runs, the, the defensive downgrade there. Um, so Kevin Gosman's on the Hill tonight. And another thing that has dramatically affected Kevin Gosman's results this year are the quality of opponent. So he has, and these are numbers you pulled, so I'll credit you for numbers I'm throwing at you here. Uh, against top 15 offenses by runs per game, Kevin Gosman has a 497 ERA. Against the bottom 15 offenses, that is 181. So we're talking about over three runs of ERA. And yes, part of this explanation is good offensive teams get more runs, so they will obviously hit, hit, hit pitchers better. But only Taj Bradley has a bigger gap in terms of how you perform against elite offenses versus, or not even elite, how you perform against good offenses versus bad offenses. Um, 
the Yankees are not a good offense, so we won't get any more data on this tonight. Uh, so what are you looking for? And is that concern level for you a red flag, a yellow flag, a just a, a pocket stat? Where where are you with Gosman's splits? Because I could see it being obviously concerned because you're playing good offenses more in the playoffs. I could also see a veteran like Gosman thinking like, well, I'm not going to over adjust to a second meeting against the Minnesota twins in the regular season. I'm going to stick to what I do and I'm a vet. I'll adjust come playoff time. Where, where do you land on, on those numbers? Um, I think it's notable, but it's not something where it's n- not something. It's certainly not something where I'm like, Oh, can we, n- does he need to have a shorter leash or do he's your guy? He's your ace. You're going to lean on him. You're going to hope he can guide you to, two or three postseason wins and to the CS and to the World Series, all that stuff. But I just think what stands out to me is the kind of, I think the word I used last week was kind of how he's binary, that it's, you know, it's fastballs up, splitters down. That works against the Royals. That works against the White Sox. It can also work. It also works quite often against good teams as well, but just not, he's gotten, when he's gotten hit hard this year, it's come against good hitters and good teams. That feels obvious, but I just... The part that's interesting to me is how what we've seen from him in terms of how he's adjusting lately. And we've we've heard Buck and Joe, people like them, talk about it. A lot more lower fastballs, right? A few more splitters in the strike zone. Just mixing things up a little bit more. I do think like that's... I think last start, when I looked this morning, his last start against the Yankees was the, his lowest average height on his fastball all season long. So, again, but who knows... Like, who knows? Maybe that's just something he's working on. He probably won't go to the well that much. Uh, he's still going to rely on his bread and butter, which are fastballs up, but that might just be working on something so that he knows he's mm-hmm. got it come postseason. So it's not something I'm quote unquote worried about, but I just, I do think it, it ties into his fastball. Like if people can, if hitters can discern that it is a fastball or if they sell out, if they know what kind of count, a fastball is likely to come. They know where to look for it. Like his fastball is good. Like it's good velo, but what makes it elite is how it plays off the splitter. So if you're selling out for fastball and you get it, like that's why his batting average on balls in play isn't entirely all bad luck. We right. talked a lot about it last a year. A lot of line drives. Yeah, like line drives. He can get hit hard. And that's another reason, like to bring it back to where we were a few minutes ago. Like that's why. It's important to me, I think, to have Varsho in the outfield because Gossman will give up line drafts. He will give up hits to the wall, to the gap, whatever. So that's why you want Kiermaier, Varsho, Springer as the outfield, at least in my opinion. So uh, the and just to, to kind of close off this note, it's not as if Kevin Gosman doesn't have good starts against good teams as well. He was unbelievable against Houston, Seattle, Philly, uh, Milwaukee. He had a really good game against. He's obviously capable of doing Kevin Gosman things against good teams as well. But on the whole, the numbers split the way they split. Yeah, like I was looking at it like and this is where I don't want to make it too much of a focus because he's still like over the last two years, like now that we're coming to the end of the year. They're getting their money's worth from this guy oh, like yeah. in terms of wins above replacement, fielding independent pitching, all this stuff, like strikeout to walk ratio. Like he is top two or three in baseball. Like he has been that good. It changes a little bit depending on which site you go to. If you're looking at batted ball, like actual batted ball or kind of uh, more so theoretical stuff. But like he is, he's been really, really good. 
I'm not worried about him by any stretch, but it's just it's something notable from how this season has gone. Okay, uh, another one on the pitching side, and uh, I wanted to go longer on this with you. I know you had some thoughts on it from the weekend after your weekend activities were done. Uh, Jordan Romano pitches a second, so he gets a four-out save on the Friday. He comes back in on the Saturday, has a cracked fingernail, but says, no, I'm good to pitch through it, gets in some trouble with some kind of oppo contact like nothing you know he wasn't giving up a bunch of bombs uh there was an opportunity to maybe go to tim Meza against low lefty on lefty john schneider opts to stick with the closer jordan romano blows the save so uh what could have been a sweep turns into a, a two of three against tampa bay not the biggest of deals given where we are in the standings and the season and things like that um, but what did you make of that decision and generally i know you have thoughts on romano's overall quality relative to and this is something that is true of, I think, all 30 teams in baseball. The perception of a closer versus the actual effectiveness of a closer. Um, to Let's start with the decision. If it was postseason, it would have been different. Um, and I think part of, I think a few weeks ago, we said, based on the position they put themselves in, they're going to be playing a month's worth of playoff games. And like that has like, that wears you down as a fan a little bit. You kind of, you get a little worn out. You get a little anxious, especially in big moments. And I think that's what that was. Like the logic makes sense to stick with them there. I understand. I think you can make a perfectly valid argument the other way, but also the reasoning that Schneider gave post game made perfect sense to me as well. And he still is your guy. I also like to me, I didn't see the game live, but I watched the plays afterwards and I watched all of Romano's like inning that those hits like weren't those weren't driven barrels to the gap like he hung one slider that was hit for a single to left field but like those ones down the line those guys were late on fastballs anything down the line especially oppo I view it as like borderline luck like that it somehow stayed fair like I don't I view that as kind of and even the swing that um on the game winning hit like it was an inside fastball that he somehow put down the left field line. So I just, when I saw that outing, I really wasn't concerned. As you alluded to, you know how I feel about Romano. I do think his, his save percentage is among the top guys in baseball. Win all probability it, added Yeah, like top, all that stuff yeah. is very good. He does walk a few more guys than other closers. Like the whip is a touch higher than the elite, elite guys. So, you know... Does that take him out of the top three or so? Maybe. Like, a, to me, Devin Williams is probably number one in baseball. Class A is probably in that top three. So, But we're talking about if you slot him, you know, somewhere in the four to eight range probably in baseball. And to me, that's good. Like, that's pretty good. I'll, yeah. I'll take that over many, many alternatives. So that's kind of where I land on Romano. Uh, yeah, we can dig in on some of the Romano specifics. And, and he's getting a little bit less extension down the mound and is firing that fastball from a, a higher release point right now. I wonder how much of that has to do with, you know, he was dealing with the back thing a little bit. Is it related to that? The back thing also caused uh, a lot of tailing on the fastball to the arm side. Maybe it's a, an adjustment to that. That's something I think we, we keep an eye on this week, but I don't know that we're even going to get enough data to make any kind of conclusion about it and the truth is honestly it's what is it september 26th every pitcher probably has something right now yeah like this is one of those things where we might get an answer during the off season or in spring next year that we see this data and we have a conversation um next year or something about hey were you feeling something late in the year and we might get an answer but yeah as you alluded to not getting all the way down the mound and the one thing that stands out is so far this year and 
horizontal break on Romano slider in particular isn't a necessarily a huge deal. Um, it is much more of a um, just kind of straight down breaking slider, but he's getting less break on it recently. So that's an, it's not just release points, not just fastball stuff. There is a little bit going on with this slider where he's getting a little less break on it. Who knows what that could be? But again, that's something where you don't really know. It's just something to monitor for now. Okay. So tonight we are going to see Michael King again. Uh, no slider from him. He does throw a sweeper and he'll use it as almost his number one pitch against righties since he came in uh, as a starter. When the Jays saw him last week, he struck out 13 of them without a single walk. He gave up five hits and one run over seven innings. He was ridiculous. Um, he is obviously on a bit of a run here since becoming kind of a I, I guess we'll say full-time starter. It, it, he had a pretty short leash every game except the last one. But over the five starts he's made as a proper starter, uh, 39 to two strikeout the walk ratio in just 25 and two thirds innings. So this is the Jays was an extreme example, but he's been really, really good of late. Uh, what are you looking for as the Jays see Michael King a second time in a row tonight? When we saw him last week, one of the things I talked about was just kind of overall more so when it, sorry more so when he faced lefties kind of throwing any pitch anytime he was, as you alluded to still sinker slider primarily against righties now what stood out to me in that start against the Jays was nine of his 13 strikeouts came on fastballs so when you see that stat or hear that stat it's like okay let's stick on fastball whether it's four seam sinker let's play up let's aim for kind of velocity in the 90s try to time up to that but you look at his two strike usage and it's any pitch, anytime. Like he, when you look at what he did last start, I love that. Every, so do I, everything was between 20 and 30%. You don't know what you're going to get. That would be horrible to face as a hitter, two strikes. You're trying to defend and you have no idea what's coming. Like that's to me, like that's what you want. Like if without a weapon as crazy as Kevin Gossman splitter, then yeah, like, unpredictability, I feel like, is your best friend as a pitcher. And honestly, with him, I, I actually think the changeup is is very, very good. It is. To the extent where, like, he doesn't he hasn't needed to go to it yet because the sinker and slider combination is so good, but, like, I wouldn't mind seeing that righty-on-righty righty a little bit if, I, if I'm the Yankees and I just want to see how generally we go change-ups to the opposite-handed hitter, but it's not impossible. Pablo Lopez succeeded with a very good change-up righty-on-righty for a long time. Jose Brios, I was actually talking to him about it last night. Um, he has thrown his change-up a little bit more to righties this year to, to good effect. Um, I wonder, look, Michael King probably doesn't make that adjustment until righties start actually hitting him, but for right now, that, ch that change-up has like a 43% whiff rate against lefties, like swing and miss rate on it, so I don't know. Maybe it could trick a righty here and there if he does need a, a third pitch that he believes in a little bit more than the straight four seamer. His that sinker is just nasty the way it runs in on righties. I just I was I was very much looking forward to the Yankees having another down year uh, next year potentially, um, but seeing this guy's progress and what he could do in the rotation next year has kind of limited my enthusiasm. But the stat I put in our top sheet today, our kind of notes for today. Boston, New York finishing last in the AL East for the first time ever. This is, love that. I just, as a lifelong Blue Jays fan who had to put up with, through my like formative years of playing baseball and as a baseball fan, seeing the Red Sox and Yankees for like two decades, it felt like just up at the top, dominating. It was, uh, it's kind of 
a nice change of pace to see them at the bottom this year. Yeah. Now, if it didn't have to be Baltimore, Tampa, Toronto, the order it's in, you know, Jay's potentially here finishing with the third best record in the American League and, and being the second wild card. Uh, but what can you do? Chris Black, producer of sports at producing Blue Jay Central this series. Thanks for taking the time out this morning. Anytime. Uh, check out Down to Black on Twitter. The Vlad thread will be up uh, a little later, I assume. I assume it's still going up. At some point after my official duties as producer, uh, it will come up. All right. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. It's Kevin Gosman against Michael King tonight. Chris is going to have me on Blue Jay Central a little later as well. We'll look at some of the American League odds because not only uh, do we have playoff odds narrowing in on 100% and 0% right now, some interesting things going on in terms of how some of the advanced models see the American League uh, shaping out. The Jays could do themselves a big favor by winning tonight and getting uh, within clinch range tomorrow. As soon as tomorrow, down at the Rogers Center, they could clinch if all goes well. Gosman versus Michael King. Blair and Barker have you 5-7 to seven to continue to set that game up, and they'll have you for Jays Talk postgame, not only for the weekday games this week, Every Blue Jays game remaining, Blair and Barker are in that chair for you for Jays Talk postgame. Uh, Jesse Rubinoff and Sam McKee are coming up next. I imagine to talk about that Leafs pregame, uh, preseason game in St. Thomas, Ontario tomorrow. Can't miss that one. Uh, Rubinoff and McKee next. Jays Talk Plus will be back with you tomorrow, 10 a.m. Thanks to Jose Barrios and Casey Kendall, by the way.